Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. So I want to hear the first brand in your life growing up, I think, as a young girl in New Jersey, the first brand that made an impact on you. Benetton. I had to have that rugby that said Benetton in big letters across the chest. That was really my first exposure to a designer label on clothing and, you know, really the beginning of that whole world. And then that brand continued to captivate me. If you think about it, they were really like the forerunners of cause marketing. If you think about the daring advertising they did, they really shone a light on things people didn't want to talk about, whether it was HIV, famine, race. So I continue to you know, always be focused on that brand. I remember a commercial, an advertisement they ran during the early 90s in the Olympics. During the height of HIV, they showed condoms in the colors of the Olympic rings, which was so controversial, but did get their message out about having safe sex. So it was a brand that I originally like, was like, oh, I need to have that rugby to, wow, this is a bold, fearless company that's really driving social, social conversation and social change. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Andrea Zaretsky, the Chief Marketing Officer of E-Trade, the pioneer company in the online brokerage industry with a brand famous for its hilarious Super Bowl advertising. Andrea has been with E-Trade since September 2019, and she had no idea then what was in store for her. A global pandemic in her first six months, And in October 2020, the financial giant Morgan Stanley purchased E-Trade at a value of about $13 billion. Andrea is an accomplished marketer, MBA from Columbia, 14 years at American Express, and SVP roles at Toys R Us and Sephora before joining E-Trade. This is my lively conversation with Andrea Zaretsky. Welcome, Andrea, to the CMO Podcast. You are the second... American Express alumni I have interviewed in the past few weeks. I just interviewed Claire Bennett, who's now at Intercontinental Hotels and Resorts. And I just seem to run into a lot of Amex people who are doing amazing things in other companies. And, you know, I came from P&G. It's the same dynamic. So I want you to start with what is it about Amex that develops and exports such remarkable talent? Thank you, Jim. That is a great question and one I think of often myself. Um, it was a real privilege to work at American Express. I personally chose it because it was a company where I knew the customer was at the center of all that they do in design and marketing was an incredibly important function. 
So as a newly minted MBA, the company was really appealing to me because I knew that I would really have an opportunity to develop my marketing chops, work with some of the best and brightest. And then also, I knew it was a real leadership academy, like P&G and like some of the other greats. Um, And it definitely uh, met all of my expectations. And as you said, I had the opportunity to work with so many incredible uh, marketing sort of gurus and leaders in the space today. Um, So a fantastic place to get the foundation. I actually joined and I stayed 15 years. I had nine roles at American Express. So, you know, that just is a testament to what a fantastic company it is. And, you know, the diversity of opportunities um, that the company affords you. So how are you a different leader now, Andrea, because of that 15 years? What do you think is the power lesson you took forward? Yeah, I think, you know, er in early days, I was given responsibility to lead people. And um, I was really educated that that's a privilege. And, you know, I really took that seriously. And I think they invest a lot in training and leadership. And they believe in mentorship and sponsorship. So I just believe, you know, it was an incredible uh, community with really strong purpose and values that helped me develop as a leader. I think it's also a culture that is incredibly focused on feedback. It is part of the performance appraisal process. So you are really brought up to ask for feedback, be open to feedback, and without feedback, it really is a gift. None of us can grow. So I think that was also really, uh, you know, one of the key ingredients to developing as a leader, being self-aware, understanding the impact I had, and then getting like real tools and training to be a more effective leader. Did you work with Clara Bennett? I did. I actually was recently in touch with her. Um, So I'm so thrilled to hear um, a fantastic force uh, in the industry. I had the opportunity to work with so many, I would say, fierce, fearless women. And I think that really gave me the courage to have a voice. I worked for Leslie Berland, who is now the CMO and chief people leader um, of Twitter. I worked for Alice Milligan, and I'm working for her again. Uh, so uh, Lynn Bigger, CMO of Visa. So really, really special opportunity to, um, you know, learn from these these incredible women who really, you know, not only taught you incredible business skills and how to drive growth and performance, but had tremendous empathy mm-hmm. and taught you to care beyond the work. What can we do in our community? How can we affect change? Um, so it's something I, I love staying in touch with, you know, with all of these fantastic women. What are your tips for our listeners in giving feedback? We had a recent guest who said, you know, if you don't give honest, great feedback, you're being very selfish because tough feedback is hard to give, right? Tough, honest feedback. So what did you learn in that wonderful 15 years in giving people feedback? Absolutely. You know, they actually taught a method of giving feedback called the sandwich method. You may have learned it as well. I'm not sure if that was uh, in practice at P&G. But the sandwich method, it just makes it easier to share your message and it makes sure that it lands well and that it's heard by the recipient. Sandwich method is, you know, you share something you're doing well, then you share the area of opportunity and you close with, you know, another positive. And I think that's, you know, really an easy way to digest feedback. Um, and, I, and I think it, it really has been successful. So I really try to use that method even today. Um, I try to remember that as much as I can. And I hope that when I'm getting feedback, um, you know, it's packaged in such a way too, it just goes down easier. But we all get tougher as as the years go on. Yeah, for sure. No, P&G was very similar, you know, share the positives, share the opportunities, and then close with next steps. And be sure you're reflecting what the person is saying back to you. There's one more lesson I learned, which is very, very important. And I really strive to, to do the same. I encourage others to provide real specific examples. I think it's so hard and sometimes the feedback can be very vague and obtuse. Provide real feedback, real real examples of the behavior or the area of opportunity. 
um, and try to do it in an immediate way. Don't wait for the review yeah. season. Don't yeah. tell someone something six months later. You've cost them six months when they really could have been improving. And uh, I know, you know, you have to imagine everybody wants to do better and improve. So it, it really is a gift. So try to share it often and make it really uh, specific. Now we have beyond feedback, we have a lot to talk about today. And I want to start by jumping into your last 18 months. You, Absolutely. You joined E-Trade as CMO in September 2019. Six months later, the world shuts down with the pandemic. A few months after that, in October 2020, your company yeah. gets acquired by Morgan Stanley. And then a few months later, you're back in the Super Bowl in February with a darling spot. And now here we are today reflecting on these 18 months. So I want you to talk about, you know, we started on leadership. What have you learned about yourself, Andrea, as a leader in the last 18 months? That's a lot in a year and a half. It certainly has been a dynamic time. And I would say I'll add one more, which is uh, the industry that I work in decided to get rid of commission fees, which led to a tremendous amount of changes in terms of the business model as well as consolidation in the industry. That was the first change that happened, I think, two months into my role. Um, Schwab led by removing commission fees and then TD, and then you know E-Trade joined as well. Schwab announced the acquisition of TD Ameritrade, then Morgan Stanley announced the acquisition of E-Trade. So it's certainly been dynamic. And then, of course, the pandemic, social justice, so many things. Um, but I'd say you know, what it taught me about leadership, and, and many people talk about this, just finding new ways to connect. It's so incredibly important to connect to be human during this time, um, in addition to the business strategy, which is all about being flexible and being able to pivot and bring people along, I think you know this year has demanded a ton of empathy in how we lead, how we unify the team, how we bring people along. And I think we were tested in many, many ways. Um, and as I look back, there's a lot of things we tested that didn't necessarily work, um, some things that did, but. I think, you know, I'm so proud of the team that, that I get to work with every day. You know, they have shown up despite so many hardships, like, like everyone else working. Um, young children need to care for, um, you know, aging parents. And it's just been uh, incredibly heroic how everyone has come to the table. And I think what has unified us is just wanting to serve our customers, really coming in with that spirit every day that we want to serve our customers. They're asking for guidance. They want education. Um, they do want to manage their finances. So what can we do to help people in this incredibly uh, challenged time? The other you know, major thing is you know, working on M&A and working on a transaction, having never met anybody in person at Morgan Stanley. And I'm just so uh, impressed and amazed with all of my new colleagues and my team as well for being able to do that in a virtual way, using all of the incredible tools and technology to get to know people um, and conduct, you know, a, a range of conversations uh, in a in a virtual environment has been, you know, nothing short of miraculous. Um, but I think the lesson that it has taught all of us is that we can use tools and technology. We don't necessarily need to be in person, you know, five days a week. There can be hybrid models of the future. Um, so it's definitely been an incredibly dynamic time. And I was prepared well from my background um, at Toys R Us, where I had to lead with my back against the wall during a bankruptcy and during a liquidation. So I think that definitely gave me perspective and gave me crisis management skills um, that I probably wouldn't have gotten at at happier times in in growth companies. There's a lot in there to to talk about. Tell me about doing an M&A virtually. Uh, It's so, I've been part of several of them in my career, both at P&G and afterward. Uh, It's so relationship dependent. And at the end of the day, the numbers are what they are, but it's about trust. It's about moving forward. 
It's about aligning everyone. And that is, I can't, I can't imagine on the spot right now doing those things in the world we're in now. I guess we could have, I would have, I would have learned. But what specific tips do you have for, I mean, it's really building trust in a very tense environment in a virtual setting. So again, back to specifics, what did you do that was helpful? I think, you know, the same toolkit as I enter every new company, relationship building is everything. So just spending that time, making sure to schedule and have those one-on-one conversations, that's really where the relationships are formed with my new colleagues, with you know uh, important stakeholders, spending the time to get to know people on a human level, as well as from a business perspective. I think those were critical in addition to all of the group meetings that we've had and all of the work streams that uh, we've joined. I think just you know spending the time, investing in the relationship, nurturing it. Uh, has been critical. And I, you know, have formed some great relationships over the past, you know, I guess it's almost a year um, of working on the integration well before we closed. So I think it's just, it's an investment of time and it's an important place to to be. And then, you know, structuring, you know, making sure that everyone always remember positive intentions mm-hmm. as teams come together, as priorities are established, uh, as, you know, missions are crafted. So I think re- having respect, assuming positive intent, um, and not being afraid to have the tough conversations, but making sure that, you know, once a decision is made, you get on the bus um, and do everything you can to support the change and, and uh, the transformation. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Tell us, in the last 18 months, you've you've talked about empathy, you've talked about listening, building relationships, uh, developing new skills in the virtual world. What leadership strength did you lean on the most in your, uh, you know, in your array of strengths? And which one did you feel like you really needed to develop better? Great question. Um, I think I leaned on patience and openness and um, connecting in a human way. No longer can you walk by somebody's desk and ask how they're doing. So I, I've made a concerted effort to find new ways to reach out to everyone on the team, whether it's you know establishing uh, more frequent, shorter meetings so that we meet many more times a week because we have lost that ability to connect in the hallway or or you know huddle in the coffee area. So um, that has been a key thing. More frequent check-ins. And not, and I've encouraged my team to do the same with their teams, so that we're all doing that. And and there's just more contact and more opportunity to to discuss and and you know get together. And then we've been innovative, like everyone on the team building front. Um, we've really tried to. I think you know everyone's done their share of of Zoom happy hours, um, but we've you know tried different different ways. We've created um, you know randomly sorted huddle groups so people have a chance to see people they wouldn't normally see you know somebody from media has the opportunity to meet with somebody from marketing operations so we've created these huddles on an ongoing basis we're now setting up one-to-ones for people who won't get a chance normally to 
to have a conversation. So we're spending a lot of time making sure people stay connected and feel in touch. So that's, I think, been a strength. And I think just being an open sounding board and, and really, you know, I, I genuinely care for the people on my team and I want to know how they're doing. And I think, you know, that's really important right now is to, is to put people's lives first and, and be really understanding of, of what they're going through um, and try to do everything I can to support them, whether it's a better at home work setup for my designers mm-hmm. who need a large monitor and, and have different needs, making sure people can do the jobs. And, and we try to remove whatever stress we can uh, from an already stressful time. And then in terms of, you know, you know, leading uh, more, more issues. I'm going to have to think about that, Jim. I'm not sure. That's a great question. I might come back to it. Okay, good. No, no problem. Yeah. Who has, who has been a, the most helpful mentor for you over the last 18 months? Mm. I would say my, my leader, Alice Milligan has been an incredible mentor. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to have the second time to work with Alice. We worked together over a decade ago at American Express. She left the company, um, has had a number of uh, exciting roles. I left the company a little bit later and we've reconnected here at E-Trade. And, you know, she's just, uh, you know, has phenomenal perspective and wisdom. Um, she really doesn't sweat the small stuff. I think that's really important right now. Um, she, uh, you know, has a way of getting the team focused on what truly matters for her, the entire organization. So I think, you know, I've really benefited from her. She's been a great sounding board as we've wrestled with some, you know, thorny issues um, related to a variety of things happening over the last 18 months that you pointed out earlier. Uh, she's just been, you know, incredibly open as well um, to helping problem solve and and be, you know, just a, a center of, you know, testing ideas and, and seeing what we might want to do together. I think that provides like a, a really good environment that then the whole team uh, feels like it's a very accepting culture. And she's also like put a real premium on safety. Um, you know, we were one of the first teams to start working virtually. We didn't wait for a decree. Mm-hmm. Um, she really wanted to put the employees, you know, health and sick and safety number one. And so I feel that's created a really nice environment for employees as well. Now, your company actually, you know, as I was, I knew, of course, a lot about your company before the, this interview, but I did even more research. And and the founding is very extraordinary. You know, I love the founder story. You know, a physicist, yes. an entrepreneur. 40 That's years right. ago. That's right. What a crazy idea back then. I mean, just nutty idea. Very, very yep. unusual and disruptive. Original, yeah, original challenger, original disruptor. So it's just a such, a, so what, what do you love about the founding story? Tell us. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, what's so great about the founder story, which I'll tell quickly, um, back in 1980, really at the advent of the personal computer, uh, Bernie Newcomb and Bill Porter met at a party. Bernie Newcomb was an academic and legally blind. And Bill Porter was a cowboy and an an inventor. And Bill had the idea. He just bought an Apple computer. He didn't really know how to program it. And, uh, you know, fate would have it. He ran into Bernie at a party and he shared his idea, which is really, you know, if you think about this time in the early 80s, if you wanted to trade stocks, you had to look, you had to see how the stock prices were doing in a newspaper and you had to pay a commission to a stockbroker to execute the trade. So he had the idea of what if someone could, you know, and get into the stock market themselves from their own home with a personal computer. And Bernie loved the idea. And together, you know, the spark, the spark happened and the company was born. And actually in 1983, uh, the first trade was executed from, from a doctor in Michigan's own home and the company was born. So I just think, you know, the ingenuity, the disruption, the democratization of, um, you know, what had really been Wall Street coming to Main Street was legendary and, and iconic. And I think, you know, what else what has stood the test of time and, and why I'm so proud and it's such a privilege to lead this brand, it has stayed true to its roots. It's always been a challenger. It's always been a disruptor. 
even in how it shows up visually. Back then in the 80s, every company used blue for financial services. And E-Trade came out and wanted to use green and purple. And I heard it was so controversial that one of the larger financial services companies wanted to give E-Trade an injunction and try to stop them from coming to market with this bold uh, visual identity. So it's been legendary. The logo of the company is two converging arrows. And that's really to represent Wall Street coming to Main Street. So I love everything about it. I love the spirit of the founders. It definitely transcends the culture today. This is, you know, a a scrappy culture that is very focused on innovation, technology, solving customer needs and pain points with products and solutions and platforms. Uh, and it's, it's such a special, special culture in place and one that really stays, stays true to its brand. As a marketer, it's been really fun because they have an irreverent tone. E-Trade is so well known for its, you know, irreverent tone, you know, ability to be, to be witty. Um, you know, sometimes provocative, sometimes controversial, um, but, you know, really is a, a watcher of culture and society and, and wants to provoke people at, at the heart. Its mission is to provoke people to take charge of their finances and everything, you know, in terms of the culture and how we operate and how we go to market is really, you know, centered around that. And it's been pure and it's been consistent. I think that's so interesting. So many tech companies have a very strong platform and they they go to greatness based on that, but they don't often develop a great marketing team and, and, yes. and strong marketing capabilities. E-Trade has yes. done both. What could we learn from that journey over the last 40 years? I think it's a gr- great question too. Um, I think that this is just, you know, a company that's had a strong point of view. And I think that's really important and that's differentiated it in this space that has become quite crowded. Um, I think, you know, also has, it has believed in the power of brand and the power of marketing to drive growth and profits, which, you know, I know, you know, you spoke, spent a lot of time focusing on, I think this is a company that really gets it. They get the investment in marketing and brand and, and how that's important to fueling the mission. Um, so I think that's been emblematic. And I think, you know, they take risks and take chances, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gains, nothing gained. And, you know, I love that they have that, that entrepreneurial spirit. They test new things. They want to, you know, this company wants to push the envelope. Um, and in the last, you know, 18 months from a marketing and advertising perspective, it's been really interesting. The other thing the company has done a very good job of over time is staying close to the customer. So we, you know, have a, lar- a long history of doing focus groups and qual and quant research, always trying to understand the sentiment of the customer to make sure what we're doing will land well, will resonate, um, and, and will go the way we want. There's been a lot of iteration to make sure that what we're doing, particularly in this very charged environment, very sensitive environment, will resonate. And I think that's something um, you know very unique. The company has always put the customer at the center, and um, I think that's been a lot of the secret to the success. What has happened in this culture to keep the spirit over 40 years? And it seems like the spirit has continued even with the recent acquisition. Yeah, so what you know, we talk about specifics on feedback and behaviors. What has happened in the last 40 years to keep that original? kind of crazy spirit of the company thriving and living on? I think that the people who work there are really passionate about what they do. I think that they really believe the mission and live the mission. They believe um, that they are helping consumers with this you know, very tough, intimidating world of finance. The company has always been uh, very focused on getting rid of the jargon in the industry. We know how intimidating the jargon can be. Um, and has been focused at being very, you know, being very simple and clear with customers from how we use messaging to the user experiences that we design, keeping it simple. So I think the talent, um, the people who work here love what they do. Um, they, they believe in the mission. And I think that's been really, 
critical um, to keeping that culture alive and, uh, you know, really support each other and, and celebrate, um, you know, wins and learns from mistakes. It's a culture that's open to taking risks. And I think that's, that's given people freedom and uh, a lot of enjoyment. You talked about mission about 10 times so far, and I love that. So, and we talk a lot about brand purpose in this podcast. Yeah. So I want yeah. you to go a little bit deeper on that. Sure. You know, the original uh, purpose of the company, which sounds like it's still relevant. How do you talk yeah. about it today? How do you describe yeah. it? How, what do you, how do you write it down? How do, you, yeah. how do you make sure it's in everyone's work that people realize that's valued? How do you measure it? So give us a little bit more of E-Trade's perspective on brand purpose. So I think the mission has been consistent over time, but we've certainly had exercises where we check in and make sure that we evolve the language based on what's going on in the market and what's going on in, in culture and society. Um, the mission is to provoke everyone to do better and help them take charge of their finances. Um, so I think, you know, we make sure that we socialize that uh, tremendously. We check our work to make sure that it's delivering on that in terms of anything we're developing from a marketing and branding advertising perspective. You know, it's really critical. And we check in with customers to make sure, you know, is this uh, still a need? I think, you know, we have some really interesting stats this year and, and we'll get to why we returned to the Super Bowl. But we heard from customers in a year where so much was out of control, an area that they really wanted to focus on was taking control of their finances. I think, um, you know, over 40 percent said that they um, wanted to spend more time dedicated to understanding the financial situation and, and tending to their their portfolios. A third said their, re their resolution this year was to set financial goals and track them. So you have, you know, consumers who want to get into the market, they want to get off the bench, and we want to help them. And we want to do that, you know, no matter who the segment is, the newer, the newer investors to the more advanced investors. And for us, it's really critical to make sure that we are always curating and we're being, you know, very personalized with what we go out with. We collect information in that initial application and we ask, what's your level of investing experience? And then we try to deliver on that with how we help them get the most value out of E-Trade and sort of the curated communications that follow. So I think internally, you know, in, in order to keep everybody focused on the mission, um, we do a lot of socializing. We always start every, uh, you know, meeting or presentation or deck with a reminder of the mission, um, the positioning, so that we always ground the work in what, you know, what we're trying to aspire and what we want to be true to. And then oftentimes we've killed work where it just isn't authentic to what we're trying to do and say. There has been there have been periods. Um, I have a, a fantastic head of brand on my team who has been here for much of the history and does a walkthrough of time of all the different advertising campaigns and can kind of tell tell you which resonated and which like really went off course. And uh, you know, team had to reposition the brand and, and bring it back in in a way that was authentic to its mission and its cause. And then in terms of how it, how it translates to culture, employee, you know, we work really closely with those teams to make sure that, um, you know, the events we have, the causes we believe in, the community projects that we participate in, you know, are all like on, on track with that mission of, of helping people do better. So we really try to live it and breathe and breathe the mission in, in, every, in every facet. That was a beautiful brand purpose lecture you just gave, <laughs> Andrea. No, really. But, you know, I just Thank want to you. punctuate something you said. Uh, when, I, you know, when I started at Procter & Gamble years ago, you know, if, when you changed assignments, you had to go through the entire history of each brand. And we had a department that really kept the history and were specialists in communication, branding, positioning, brand equity. 
And you'd sit down with them and you might take two or three hours. And you go back to when the brand started, why it started, who was involved, what's happened, you know, what were the high points, the low points, what was it communicating throughout that whole time, what was going on in the culture. So you then, you know, as you start your job, you know where this comes from. And that is so fundamental for every marketer. And we don't always take the time to do that. And that's a very, very powerful part of a culture. I love that you say that. And, and as I think about even onboarding for new employees, we make sure they go through the brand story. And with Morgan Stanley, specifically over the past year, we have presented, I can't count how many times, our brand story, the advertising history, because it's, we, we agree it's really critical to understand where we came from and what lessons we've learned and you know where we are today. So totally agree. It's really, really important. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now let's flip to your role as CMO. You're 18 months in, and I would just like you to tell us, what do you do? I mean, when I think about your job, what are the buckets? How do you spend your time? Yeah. What do you value? How are you measured? Just, you know, pull the curtain back on your job. Sure. I, you know, I was particularly excited about this role of, you know, the CMO role at E-Trade because it was the first opportunity where I got to lead both brand and performance marketing. Um, I had, you know, previously led different aspects uh, of, you know, the marketing, the marketing function. So it was incredibly exciting for me to be able to lead both and see how they are naturally connected and uh, how we could make those connections stronger. So, you know, the way my team is is comprised, we have brand and advertising. Um, because we're a D2C player, we have a large media and acquisition group, and that's really critical. And And some of the KPIs that you mentioned. And then, you know, a really important area for us is customer marketing. Once you are a customer of E-Trade, how do we onboard you? What can we learn about you? And then how do we serve up the best experience based on really the segment that we believe you fall into? And that's something uh, really critical. Data is super important and being data-driven with our strategies and our insights. Um, you know, we, ha- we house the insights team, which is continuously talking to customers um, within the group because we want to make sure that everything we develop is, you know, based on customer insights. We do a lot of performance um, marketing and measurement. So we use data as well to help us understand where to invest. You know, where do we get the best return? Where should we iterate, optimize, test, and where do we need to continue to learn? And then the last area of the team that's critical is marketing operations. In today's world, you really have to have um, a leading edge MarTech stack so that you can deliver on that promise of personalized marketing that's so critical and important to all of us marketers. So really, you know, trying to be on the leading edge of what, what is the right MarTech stack? Um, you know, what are the right elements? What do you buy versus build? We spend a lot of time talking about that. And now with Morgan Stanley, how do we put it all together, um, you know, in terms of a three or five year roadmap? So I think, you know, spend time in each of those areas, the brand story and the brand narrative. How do we want to activate it in the marketplace based on, you know, corporate objectives? You know, what What are um, the best ways to connect to consumers and bring them into the franchise? And then once they come in, how do we make sure they have an incredible experience, a great welcome and onboarding, um, and that we, you know, really serve their needs and continue that dialogue and build that relationship over time? 
let's say, you know, from, from brand and then a sort of a life cycle strategy uh, is really critical and continue to make sure we have the right tools and capabilities um, to make it happen. And then I think, you know, from a higher level and, and more broadly, you know, I, I'm privileged to have that role of the steward of the brand and making sure that, you know, we continue to manage it um, as we move into the next chapter of the, of the company's story, which is really, you know, as part of Morgan Stanley. Um, that is certainly uh, commanding a lot of my time. What will be that integration story? How will we bring these brands together? Um, but I'm incredibly excited about it. There's so much potential. And, you know, really, if you think about it, one of our major brand strategies was to um, educate consumers that we are more than just trading. If you think about it, that's a tough challenge. Trade is in the name. E-Trade has always been known for trading, but we have so much more. So a lot of the work pre-Morgan Stanley was making sure that we were busting consumer perceptions and teaching them about all the, the you know, things that we have in our offering. Now with Morgan Stanley, um, that is a fantastic proof point to, be, to believe E-Trade is more than just trading. So really think that it makes tremendous strategic sense and uh, very exciting to, to figure out how to weave that story in and put it in the marketplace. Sounds like a great job, Andrea. An amazing job. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you, you talked about you have branded performance marketing for the first time. T tell us about how you manage that. I, I, it, this is yeah. a hot live issue in the industry That's today. A hot topic. And I've, I've yeah. talked to a, a, a tech company, a big tech company CEO, who said, you know, we can measure more in performance marketing than we can in brand marketing. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is. And if left unchecked, all of the money will go to performance marketing. How do you manage these two? What are your strategies? I think um, it's incredibly important to continue to try to measure the impact of both. So what we do is we use a variety of metrics. And you know, throughout my career, I've always been very data-driven and, and try to use analytics to help tell the story and, and show the impact. Um, and justify the investment as all marketers do. I think with brand, we do continue to measure brand health metrics and they're critical for E-Trade. We want to make sure we continue to command awareness in the space. As I said, it's very competitive. Consolidation is going to make uh, you know, an even more challenging environment. The fintechs are coming up fast. How do we continue to show we command uh, significant awareness and positive sentiment? And without that, you know, we all know it, it'll be much tougher to acquire and to retain. So I think, you know, that's critical, having a really, really um, clear set of brand health metrics that you measure over time. I measure every quarter and I look versus the competition. Um, and, you know, we've, we've tried to learn and find out where we're we strong, where are, where, are, where are areas of opportunity that we need to invest in with our messaging or our product and offering. So on the brand side, continue to chart growth in that way. Sure, certainly TV and other is harder for attribution. On the media, the performance side, much easier um, to track all the way through, show ROI. But I think it's the packaging of both that's critical. Just like you said, you can't have one without the other. I really, really believe the halo from brand is critical in making that uh, performance marketing engine work. So always try to speak speak to them together. And then I would, what I'd say a learning for me over time at, at the various companies I've worked at is you have to have real, really good harmony between those two teams. They have to function as one team and one unit um, even if they're doing very different things from a skill set perspective, it's actually quite different. Um, but they need to know that it takes both to be able to um, be successful and to occupy, you know, positive space in consumers' minds. You need both to be functioning together and and um, you know making decisions together and uh, you know hopefully enjoying each other. I think that's that's a critical thing. Operating as one team with those two areas of the business. How do you how do you get the harmony? I mean, do you 
how do you make sure you're on the same narrative and the same tone of voice, although you're doing very, very different kinds of marketing? Do you have a framework or do you have a a narrative or story? Do you spend time to be sure people understand it and believe in it? How do you achieve the harmony? I think what they do that has been so, so well received is they work together from the beginning and they include each other and their agencies along the journey. And they really, I think we used to call it a cat at American Express, a collaborative agency team. Not only are my internal teams, you know, from the beginning together, working together on reminder, this is our mission and strategy. This is our brand and and our positioning. Here are our goals for the year. From the beginning, they craft the strategy together. We bring in the agencies from that beginning point and they work together. Um, We have one set of goals for everybody. And I think, you know, we ask for feedback and we incorporate it along the journey. And there can be, there are some disagreements and there's some conflict, but that's good. And we want to get that conflict um, going and there are some questions that, you know, we'll never, we'll never agree on. Those two sides will never agree on maybe, but having that open dialogue, bringing each other on the journey, making sure each knows their role is critical, I think has been really important. So I think it's functioning as one, um, really in practice through execution and then analyzing results together. What can we learn? What went well? What didn't go well? What do we want to do? Coming up with the next, um, you know, quarter's worth of testing together. Um, and agreeing on what are the most important things to learn. So I think I think that's been helpful. Tell me if there's if you think about big marketing at e, e trade across all of your areas of responsibility, what is the single most important capability that you're building for the future? I think the most powerful um, capability is the ability to learn, to be open, to test, and to learn, and to challenge preconceived notions. I think it's a, it's a cultural attribute, it's a per, it's a personality trait, but it's incredible in this incredibly fast moving space. And even if you think about where we sit um, in this very hot market, um, also that's very charged politically and socially. I think having your ear open, your listening to customers, and being adaptable, and being able to change, and showing flexibility and agility is critical in today's marketplace. I. I 100% think that it has become ever so important in recent in recent months and in recent times, just being you know open to change um, and uh, being able to move quickly to embrace that change and to make that change happen. Now, I want to move to your career, but before I do it, I have to because you're E-Trade. I have to talk about the Super Bowl. You know, you're like a Pepsi or a Budweiser. You have this long history of outrageous. I, know, I worked a lot with Gray advertising yes. at PNG yes. when they did oh, the yeah. babies yep. they were so yep. proud they were they were you know it's just incredible yeah iconic yeah iconic so you have this great advertising history as a basically a fintech company which is amazing this year your super bowl ad was very sweet very darling yep. i mean very different character yep. than the babies of course yeah so talk a little bit about what you were trying to achieve in that story that on the most public stage, at least in this country, perhaps the world, the Super Bowl. Because we've always put customers at the center, we did a tremendous amount of co-creation with consumers for the spot. So first in terms of our desire to return, we felt um, it was the right time to come back. We hadn't advertised since 2018. We took a bit of a hiatus, but we felt we had a really powerful message um, you know, we had heard from consumers that they really wanted help managing their finances. They wanted to focus on that in this, you know, sea of chaos. This is an area of, of interest to them. So we wanted to be out there with a message on that big stage um, to, you know, to think about E-Trade if you want to get off the bench and get your finances in order. 
Um, so we felt it was the perfect time time to be back. And we also, you know, we have a, a great sports audience. Um, you know, it, it is a great demographic for us. It's where, you know, the consumers we want to get in touch with, we knew they'd be watching. Uh, so we just felt it was important. Additionally, in terms of the company and the status, yes, we, we've been acquired, but we want to show we're still here. We're, we're still very much in the game and we're here to serve you. So we felt it was the right moment. In terms of the creative, um, you know, that spot uh, evolved over time with feedback. And uh, I would tell you, I've never, consumers are sensitive at the time. It was a tricky, tricky, tricky Super Bowl for marketers. Um, and E-Trade has a very specific tone and, and takes an irreverent stance and, and has a wink. And we had to make sure that that was going to land well and that was uh, going to be per- perceived right. And we had some initial concepts we did where I think consumers felt it was, you know, we ran the risk of maybe being um, a little soapboxy. And, you know, we had to make sure that we were delivering messages in an empowering way versus a didactic way. So I think that was uh, a learning from research. And then with this particular story, we really wanted to bring to life that that notion of getting off the bench and getting into shape. We used an adorable young boy who is inspired by a diverse woman, um, which was really, uh, we got a lot of comments like that. I've never seen that before. Um, a, a strong, diverse woman uh, wrestler on YouTube. He sees her and he wants to get get in shape and literally get out of bed and start getting in shape. And, you know, we tr- did try to lean in our, you know, kind of humor, if you will, to show him going through his workout. You know, we've had a lot of laughs picking the scenes. They were hysterical. He, he was terrific. And then, you know, at the end, you know, the message is really, this might be the year you finally get in shape, financially at least. We wanted to nod to the year that people had had. We did hear from consumers. They didn't want to hear another pandemic message. Um, so we tried to just very nod, a very light nod to, to really what everyone's been experiencing. And we wanted to empower um, consumers to get off the bench and, and take action with their finances. So, you know, we felt it was right for the time. And uh, we were super excited to, to be able to get our message out in, you know, such a critical time. Yeah. It was, uh, no, I think it was very sweet. And again, it's your purpose come to life, right? Yeah, exactly. Now I want to switch to your career and back up a bit in time. Sure. You have yeah. a strong, as I do, you have a strong liberal arts theme in your education. I do. You studied do. English and American studies at Tufts. You were the oh. you were the editor of your MBA newspaper at Columbia, the bottom yes. line. Yes. So I want you to share how this affinity for literature, writing, storytelling, how has that helped you in your career? I thought about it a lot and I did want to be a journalist. So when I graduated Tufts with that English major, my first job before I you know, went back to school was at the New York Times. I wanted to maybe be a reporter or an editor. And I got a job as a clerk, which is their entry level position. And it was, it was, you know, a fantastic opportunity. I started in the Sunday magazine, which was, you know, incredible to get to, you know, spend time with those writers and the photography and the designers. I worked for the art director at the time. So I really got, you know, some learning about how to, from that first boss, um, you know, how do you activate through design, you know, a story. How do you st- how do you do storytelling through design? So it was really an incredible experience. They rotate their clerks. So I also spent time on the Metro desk with breaking news. And then my last rotation was in the on the business side of the newspaper. And something just clicked for me. And I said, you know, I actually like this maybe better. And a leader I had at the time said, you might like business school. So literally on a whim, I applied to business school and ended up going to Columbia. And, uh, you know, what I found when I got there is, you know, marketing feels a lot like journalism. There are some real synergies here, very translatable. When I, you know, was writing a story, it was, you know, all about the headline, 
what's going to grab attention? And then if you think about, you know, writing the piece, you know, how can I make an impact? How can I influence um, with this piece of writing, with my story, with my investigation? And I felt, wow, these are all the building blocks to creating good marketing. So it just clicked. And I was like, I need, I want to major in marketing. And so I did. um, And I ended up, you know, trying to get an internship at American Express where I knew marketing would really be at the center. And I would, you know, learn, you know, the real chops of of how to be a marketer um, from such a, such a legendary company. And so that, that was where I I made that transition. And I have found like those writing skills have been incredibly helpful. Um, I use them daily. My team to this day still uh, jokes whenever they send me something, you know, I do the the New York times editing. They're like, Oh no, she's doing her and her NYT edits again. You know, they groan when I edit something, but I can't help myself. Um, but yeah, it's, it stayed with me, but I think it was like a, a pivot that makes sense as I reflect back. It's such an important skill, communication, a storytelling yeah. narrative. Uh, I see it trip so many people up if they don't have that mastered. Uh, we have a very similar story. I wanted to be a writer. I went to Time Inc. I was on the editorial side. I got interested in business. I went for my MBA. I went to P&G. Very similar story. We can, we can talk more about that when we finish the recording. Now, listen, one last question before the lightning round. Your pattern of your career is similar to so many people I have interviewed and talked to a long time at one bedrock company yes. and then shorter stints at a few companies. So yes. I want you to speculate about why you think that is, maybe for yourself, but even for other people. Is it that you're more restless because you've been one place for a long time? Is it because <laughs> you're getting more senior and you just move a bit more when you're more senior? Is it serendipity? So why is it, do you think, Andrea? You know, I think there's something to what you said. I think after you've been somewhere for a really long time and you've, you know, um, kind of made your rounds, I think there's a feeling of restlessness that sets in. I'm somebody who always, I'm extremely curious and I need, I'm restless and I need to keep learning. Okay, let's move to the lightning round because this is going to be fun. Sure. The biggest lesson you learned at Sephora. Um, the importance of bringing people along on the journey for transformation. At Sephora, my role was to lead a transformation of CRM. And this is a company incredibly innovative and disruptive. What a leader in their category in, in premium beauty. And I had to learn very easily, this wasn't like a marketing tech project. I needed to bring along the merchandise team who has all the relationships with those incredible brands um, and, and show them why we felt this would be great for customers and also for brands. It just, you know, it expanded my aperture in terms of all of the cross-functional partners that you need to bring along on, on a journey of change. Toughest day at Toys R Us. Oof. Um, when we had to share with the team that we were moving from bankruptcy to liquidation, and I remember it very well. Uh, this is a company I joined where I thought they had a great runway, an iconic American brand. I really wanted to be part of that turnaround with Carla Hassan and make it work. And, you know, sadly, within three months of joining, they just had every piece of bad luck you could have and they had to file for bankruptcy. But what we really believed we would emerge and we went forward with strategic plans, new marketing approaches, new branding and advertising. And then, you know, just dominoes continue to fall and uh, ran out of time. And so having to move from that announcement of the bankruptcy to, I think, four to five months later announcing, unfortunately, we're not going to make it out. We have to move to liquidation was heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. People worked at that company for 40 years. And, you know, just to have that dream 
um, and their livelihoods uh, destroyed in, in an instant was, I'll never forget it. And it does give me perspective today to weather some of these newer storms. Um, I think, you know, that was a total corporate destruction that uh, I unfortunately had to be part of. And, you know, definitely uh, life changing. Now, what are you watching these days, reading, listening to that would be interesting for our so listeners? So much. Yeah. I am a pop culture junkie and I, I am voracious with content. And this is like quite a time to have, you know, that opportunity to experience even more content, whether it's streaming, pop, you know, listening, audio, there's so much. Um, I, I re- recently watched Prisoner of War, which was, you know, very gripping. If you're, if you're into that sort of thing, it was a drama that takes place in Israel and it, you know, is if it, it follows three prisoners of war, so it's heavy. On the lighter side, I like Bridgerton and Emily in Paris. I have a full eclectic range. I like the the uh, more delightful stuff, and I like the hard stuff. And then you know, reading. I have been in and out of book clubs. Actually, we have kept our Sephora book club alive. I think only one of the six of us still work at the company, but we continue to do a regular book club, which is great. And I think um, the latest book we read was Homegoing which is a fantastic story about two half-sisters from the 1700s in Africa and the different journeys they had. So again, another heavy one, but incredible book. Were you an active trader in E-Trade before you took the job? I, I confess I wasn't an active trader. I did like, I, I was very interested in the stock market. I was a 15-year customer before um, I came in. I came in through an employee stock plan. Mm. That's how I came into the company. E-Trade actually lesser known, had a thriving, uh, really big stock plan administration business. And now it's combined with Morgan Stanley's um, to be a real real powerhouse. So I came in through, a, I think, a corporate stock plan through Amer- maybe Amex and uh, learned, and we made it our bank. It's been our primary bank all this time. I never had a BRICS bank. I've always used E-Trade for checking and savings. So when I was approached about the role, I was a true customer and I really was a, lo- a lover of the platforms and the, the ease and simplicity. Um, but active trading, not as, not so much. A conservative or or not conservative investor? Um, more conservative than risky. Will the talking babies ever return to E Trade? Stay tuned, my friend. Okay, Stay tuned. Right. It's a question that always comes up, and we always we never want to say never. So you don't you never know. Favorite habit of yours to stay fresh, energized, and creative. I think fitness, I have to be honest, I get so much um, from the endorphins, particularly in a time like this, I am religious about participating in a 30 minute, three time a week online Zoom uh, fitness class with uh, a group of great women. And I I think it's great just from a community standpoint, but it makes me do things I wouldn't normally do like cardio, um, a little bit of weightlifting. And I think that gives me endorphins and energy so that I can be you know open to to creativity and um, I think it's it's been really helpful right now. And then, of course, like I'm inc- incredibly inspired by everything around me. Um, all of that pop culture I do, it does it does probably find its way into my creative spirit and inspiration. Who would you like to hear on the CMO podcast? Who would be inspiring for you? Helpful? Audrey Choi should be your That's next a good idea. Uh, invitation. Absolutely, um, she can talk about Morgan Stanley, her sustainability work, um, the future of uh, the E Trade integration. I think she could be, she would be fantastic. Let's do that. And then I think some of the CMOs from some of the newer companies, um, I think would be fascinating. I know 
Clubhouse just hired a new head I of marketing. Yeah. Imagine how exciting that might be um, to create that whole position and story with this meteoric company. I think that could be really interesting too. So last word to you. You've been a wonderful guest. Any question for me before we sign off? I, I do. Um, I would love, you know, you have this incredible um, opportunity and position where you get to speak to so many exciting leaders. You know, what what do you think are some of the important trends that I need to keep my eye on um, and, my, and my peers as we head into this next phase? I think you nailed it in your discussion that we just had over the last 40 or 50 minutes. It's about relationships. It's about staying mm -hmm. close to people, your, your, your associates, your customers, listening, keeping open being agile, being of service. But you talked about empathy early in this. You talked about relationship building being so important. That's how everything happened with Morgan Stanley. If there's one mega theme in 130 or so interviews I've done over the last 20 months or so, it's these people like yourself are just very good at building strong, trusting relationships. And that, I think, is Thank a pillar you. to a great career. And, and you have been a beautiful example of that over the last hour. Thank you very much, Jim. This is great. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great to spend time with you and talk about all these great issues. Andrea, thank you. Marvelous interview. That was my conversation with Andrea Zaretsky. Three takeaways from this one for your business and your life. First one, understand your brand history. Andrea talked about going through the history of E-Trade when she joined all the way back to the origin and how new employees do the same thing. I found that a fundamental lesson of my career every time I changed assignments, I overtly went back and understood the history of the brand. Make sure you do that on your business, your brand. Second takeaway, the power of harmony and alignment on your team. Andrea talked about how brand marketing comes together with performance marketing, how they have harmony in the team, one set of goals, one direction, one narrative, one story. That's a fundamental job of leadership to create harmony and alignment and big goals for your team. Last lesson, the power of empathy. We hear that a lot on this podcast. Andrea was a beautiful example of empathy for your customers, empathy for your associates, and being creative in how you listen to your customers and your employees. Never, ever forget our job is to listen, to be empathetic, and to make a difference in the lives of our employees and our customers. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.